0: Hey Westside, good morning to you again. So this is kind of a a special Sunday here at Westside. This is what we try to do at the beginning of every year. It's called the Heart of the Elders. And if you're new to Westside or not familiar with the Heart of the Elders is, it's just a time where uh, all the elders get together. We share a little bit about what God has taught us over the past year or what God is doing in our lives. And for many of you, you say you like the Heart of the Elders because it gives you a bit of a wind into the leaders here at Westside. So there are seven elders now. Okay, so we're going to do our best to be brief and concise and roll things along this morning, but I'll do my best. Okay, uh, so let's get going here. So I, I think one of the things that God has really been uh, working on me and 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 talking to me about is a is a passage at the end of First Corinthians chapter nine. It's a it's a really well known passage. It's the Apostle Paul who uh, he was an early leader of the church and he talks about what he would be willing to do to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and in there he talks about, you know, if uh, to the Jewish people, you know, he's going to become like a Jew. To the Gentiles or non-Jews, he's going to become like them. And there's 26 words that have really impacted me and really forced me to just kind of rethink a lot of my life. And if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 22, I want to give you those 26 words. And this is what it says. It says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save Some, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And, and, you know, it, it says there all people, all means that I might save some for the what's the goal there for the sake of the gospel. And so what God has really been sharing with me is really just to connect with people who aren't like me. To connect with people who aren't like me. So I think if we look at the kind of people that we like to be around, you know what? It's a whole bunch of people just like us, right? And if you look at what the research has shown over the last three years, our circles or our our spheres of influence have kind of tightened up to people who either think like us, look like us, talk like us online. We tend to follow people kind of like us. And what God has is really is shown me is really to connect with people who aren't like me at all. And the word connect means, it just means to, to bring something together. That's what it means, simply, to bring something together. So if we want to connect with people who aren't like ourselves, what does that really look like? What do we need to do? And for me, it it boiled down to two things. Number one, a willingness to be uncomfortable. Because when we hang out with people who aren't like us, you know what it's going to be? You're going to be a little uncomfortable. Sometimes a lot uncomfortable. And then also, too, it's a willingness to understand that person. A willingness to understand where they're coming from. And one of the, the principle I've tried to apply is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And when you go to that, those verses there, uh, I looked up the, what the word means. What is that, what is that word really uh, translated? What does that mean? And it means in every and every Way That's what Paul would try to be, to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, in my life, what's kind of happened, and it's kind of been an interesting journey, the circles of people that Francis and I uh, kind of are around. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a whole bunch of extremes. So on issues, we have people who are hardcore QAnon followers, right? On the other side, we have people who are uh, former directors of Planned Parenthood and people in the LBTGQ community, all right? On worldviews, we have passionate followers of Jesus on one side. On other side, we have hardcore atheists. We have Buddhists. We have the LDS crowd. We have Muslims. And this, this kind of mix of people that, um, that God has put around us. And, uh, and we don't always agree with them all, okay? But we seek to understand them. And you know what more importantly? We, we seek to let them know that God loves them. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, he loves that non follower. For God so loved the world, he loves that person at Planned Parenthood. For God so loved the world, fill in the blank. And uh, And, you know, that's why Jesus came. That's why he died at the cross. That's why he paid the price for our sins. That's why he rose victoriously three days later to give everyone who puts their faith in him and him alone new life in him. So uh, so I want to just say, like, when you embrace this connecting with unlikely people, um, people who aren't like you, um, God's going to do some interesting things in our lives. So I think uh, many of you know that uh, my wife, Frances, has a boutique travel business. And so she's from Scotland. She takes these trips to the highlands of Scotland. So we rented. So my wife rented a castle. So she took a tour group uh, uh, to a castle. They did day trips from out there. But on the castle grounds is a chapel. And uh, one night on one of the tour groups uh, at about 930 at night, I get told, um, hey, how about you lead a uh, chapel service uh, tomorrow morning? And for those of you who know me, I'm not a night person. So when you're coming at me at 930 at night, that's typically not a good thing. And then uh, to lead a chapel service. And some of them were followers of Jesus, but, you know, most of them weren't. And so I thought about it and prayed about it and said, "Okay, I'll I'll put something together." And I said, "What can you talk? What can I talk about?" And they said, "You can talk about anything." Anything? Like, okay, anything. I'll talk about it. So we have the chapel service next morning, and I'm thinking to myself, "We're going to have just like maybe a couple people, you know, people who are followers of Jesus. Cute little chapel. They'll come for that." We basically like everybody show up. And, uh, and the verses that I shared with them was out of First John 10, which many of you can quote. And it talks about love. This is love. Not that God loved us. not that Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what I got to talk to them about. And they all showed up. And it kind of blew my mind. So in my opinion, I'm just going to share my opinion. I I think over the last three years, everything is broken. And I think what people are looking for now is, is something they can put their hope in, something that's going to be immovable, something that they can bank on. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would argue there's more spiritual opportunity today to impact this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ than I've ever seen in my lifetime as a follower of Jesus. So here's what I'd like to challenge myself on, encourage myself on, and challenge and encourage all of you. What would it look like here and what things could God do if we started to connect with unlike people who aren't like ourselves for the sake of the gospel. And I think God would blow us away with some of the things that he wants to do in our midst to lift up the person of his one and only, his well-beloved son. So with that, I'm going to turn it over um, to Jim right now.
1: I'll just go on in 1 Corinthians 9 if you'd like. You know, uh, what I'm going to share started a couple of years ago. And is the more I, oh, the older I get, the more it's part of the deep things in my heart. And if you're a grandparent here, you probably can identify with me. And if you think you're going to be a grandparent someday, you probably ought to listen. And uh, I, I, we, my wife and I went to a parenting conference. And uh, we went, not not because we had any children at home, we didn't, you know, but we went, maybe I can learn something more, you know, because I do seminars on the family and stuff. So at at the first break, the speaker came down and said, uh, he said, Jim, how about you and I writing a theology of grandparenting? And I thought, you know, I've been thinking about that for a while, and that's what I want to talk about today. Our grandkids. You know, since I'm a grandfather, I've got four grandboys, age 22, 20, 18, and 15. I had to write it down. They're all boys. All four have been baptized. Their parents, our son and daughter-in-law, love the Lord with all their hearts. And last year, Luke, our 20-year-old, calls me on the phone and said, Abuelo, they call us Abuelo and Abuela. Abuelo. I just asked Elizabeth to marry me. And I thought, you know, he's calling me on the phone to tell me that a few minutes after he did it. And you know what I said? Did you get her father's approval? And he said, yes, I did. So what does the Bible say to me about being a grandparent? And what role do I have in in the lives of... Of, of of my grandchildren. That's what I'm passionate about. Let's start with Proverbs 17:6. Grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged. Hmm. Now, speaking of experience, from experience, there's a special bond between grandparents and grandchildren that benefits both. Now, I think the Bible assumes that we, as uh, grandparents, will have part in the lives of our grandchildren and the question is what part can we have without meddling in the marriage of our kids so it's remarkable what leviticus says you know just have you ever noticed this leviticus do you ever read leviticus No. leviticus 1932 stand up in the presence of the elderly it actually says that show respect for the age and actually, one of the signs that a civilization is collapsing is the disrespect for the elderly. And part of the punishment for Israel's disobedience was that God sent, and I'm quoting, I'm quoting, a fierce and heartless nation that shows no respect for the old. Deuteronomy 28:50. Lamentations 5:12 puts it in another way. Our elders are treated with contempt. We need to recapture this you know, with the the grandparents and the grandchildren. Now, what we have as grandparents, uh, we've noticed that perhaps the parents don't have is something called time. We've got time that they don't. We've got time to listen to our grandchildren, their dreams, their wounds, their blows, their triumphs, you know, I, I personally grew up without knowing my grandparents, so I don't I don't have this feel of generations, you know, and, but my son and my daughter and our daughter-in-law, they're, they're the opposite. They have that feel of generation and they, and they want us to spend time with their kids. They want us to listen to them and tell stories of the wonderful things that God has done over the past 65 years. Not that I'm 65. That's when I was, I was saved at 15. And so, now, the Bible says good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. Proverbs 13:22. What first comes to mind is material things. However, I think that there, this is much wider than material things. What can we leave for our grandchildren? Number one is prayer. Pray for them. How many times have we heard a testimony? Uh, You know, my grandmother always prayed for me. And and Paul gives us a nice outline, I think, in in Colossians 1, 9, and 10 of what to pray. Gail and I pray for our grandkids like this in one way or another every day. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. That's how we pray for our grandkids. Now, a second way is by example. Paul says, and you should imitate me as I imitate Christ, First Corinthians 11, 1. We cannot leave a better inheritance than the example of a life given to God. In, in an exhortation, Paul tells Timothy, First, Second Timothy one five. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois, and and then your mother Eunice, and I know the same faith continues strong in you. Now, I want my grandchildren to say about me. This is Hebrews thirteen seven. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow their example of faith. I was in an interview, radio interview, and, and it took me by surprise. In fact, it took me off balance uh, because I was there to be interviewed about the Bible translation I worked on. So I was, I was all ready for that. And the interviewer looked me straight in the eyes and said, he took, called me by name and said, how do you want to be remembered? And, and I said, and I'm going to see how Angel t- translates the word godly into Spanish. There's not a good word. A godly husband, a godly father, and a godly grandfather. So we can also leave as an inheritance to our grandchildren knowledge and understanding For our part, we hope we're leaving our grandchildren with a biblical worldview, practical knowledge of the word of God, how to use the scriptures, and how to make wise decisions. Then we as grandparents pass on on something that's desperately needed, wisdom. Job 12.12 well says, wisdom belongs to the aged and understanding to the old. So my wife and I, we want to pass on wisdom and insight and understanding and discernment that we have gained from living so many years with the Lord. So to sum up, Proverbs 1, 2 to 4 pretty much sums up what we want for our grandkids. He's talking about the Proverbs. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them to do what is right, just and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and understanding to the young. That's what I am passionate about. Andy, you're next.
2: Well, Jason and I both promised that we'd be short to make room for uh, the other, other elders among us, so... Here's, here's what I've been thinking about. Um, you know, I have a lot of busy days. You know, Jesus had some really busy days, too. And one of them is recounted in the first chapter of Mark. Remember, he goes to the synagogue in the morning. He teaches with authority. Uh, a demon-possessed man stands up and screams out. Uh, Jesus heals him powerfully. And then afterwards, goes over to Peter's house, uh, heals his mother-in-law, And then, remember, in in the Jewish culture, Sabbath ends at sundown. So as, as soon as the sun sets that day, what does it say? The whole town showed up at the door of the house. So here's Jesus on into the evening, into the darkness. It said he healed many people with all kinds of diseases, and he cast out many demons Mark doesn't tell us how many hours this went on, but presumably well into the night uh, until finally the crowd is dismissed and disperses. Uh, Jesus goes in and gets some sleep. But what does it tell us happened next? Next thing is Jesus, while it's still dark, we, the oh dark early hour, you know, no trace of dawn. Jesus gets up, tiptoes out of the house and goes out. To a deserted place. Next thing you know, dawn comes. Crowd, presumably, Mark doesn't tell us this, but presumably the crowd comes to the door again, waiting for Jesus. And Peter and the disciples inside realize, he's gone, where is he? So they went off in search of Jesus, finally found him after a long search and said, everyone's looking for you. Remember? And Jesus said, let's go to some other towns and preach there, too. You know, that was what I was sent out here to do. So that that wonderful little piece of scripture, there's kind of three things that just jumped out to me uh, and that I want to uh, live in. Twenty twenty three by these principles. One is uh, Jesus wasn't controlled by the expectations of other people. He was on a mission. And sometimes that mission people understood, but many times they didn't. They they said, well, Jesus, why, why don't you do this? Uh, the crowd's here waiting for you. But Jesus had his eyes set on a mission. And so are we. We're people who are sent on a mission, aren't we? That's how we should be living our lives, is on mission. Well, where did Jesus get this mission if he wasn't going to get it from the crowd? Well, what did Jesus do in the early chapters of Mark? He was in prayer. said so there was an extended time of prayer. He was seeking God's will. And then finally, Jesus was, he led his life led by the Holy Spirit. So those are the three things I want to see in my own life in, in increasing measure in 2023. I want to be uh, on mission. I want to be in prayer. And I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we're going to be announcing here uh, a little later, when, once we figure out a date, is uh, a, a congregational fast and prayer. So I want to encourage you to uh, be looking for that and participate when, uh, when the, we get the idea fully developed. So anyway, I'm going to hand it over to Jason. Thank you.
3: Good morning. I'm going to go quickly and then jump back into uh, Sunday school. Um, so what's been on my heart? Life group. Authentic relationships in life group. Uh, Big time uh, a couple of verses that pertain to this let me just paraphrase uh, a couple of thoughts from scripture in John it says Jesus said that it was to our advantage that he go away because then he will send the counselor right and the counselor will lead us in truth so Jesus said it was to our advantage that he actually leave right Uh, so that we can have the blessing of the Holy Spirit's influence in our life. In James it says, confess to one another your sins so that you may be healed. Uh, The prayers of a righteous man avail much. How does that tie into life group? So life group um, the part of the design of life group is that we are we have uh, a confidential environment where we can be real with each other, where we can dig into real life issues. I have been working hard to do that. It's not easy to sit before other people and be real. It does not come naturally, I think, to most people. Uh, Definitely not for me, but I've been, I've been intentional about it and I've been working hard at it. This, this last year, um, a few things have happened for me in life group. The Holy Spirit has been at work. Uh, He's convicted me of sin in my life. I have seen things that I didn't see until I, I was sharing with the life group and in that, somehow in that process the Holy Spirit went tap, 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 tap. Uh, uh-uh. uh. That attitude, that doesn't belong there. That doesn't belong there. Another thing, is he opened he re I guess you'd say kind of reopened my eyes to truth. Truth I've always known. That I've known since like third grade. But for some reason it just hit me different. As we went through the material, it's like the Lord illuminated another aspect that I hadn't hadn't for whatever reason it just didn't the light bulb didn't go off in the same way. And it went off in a way that affected me daily. It affected my joy in the Lord. I was like, that's what the Lord's like? That's cool. I like that. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He was. And then third thing is uh, I was reassured of his love. I was reassured of the love within the Trinity first. And then from that, I reveled in his love for me. And those are my three things. I've just been thinking about that quite a bit this last year.
4: I'm going to do something a little different this year from past years. I'm going to give about a 55-year reflection in the next five to six minutes. So, um, But it's something that has culminated in a deeper appreciation for the love of the Father. I, I also appreciated Jacob's uh, opening this morning and, and the comment that God's love is deeper and wider than we can possibly comprehend. Uh, So I've been thinking about that. Um, If any of you have heard my my testimony, um, I I usually start it with one of my favorite phrases from a hymn that, that we've all probably heard was grace that taught my heart to fear. And I'm just reflecting on that for a moment that for the new believer, it's a gift that we have fear of separation from God. It's a gift that we have fear of our hopelessness. It's a gift of grace that we recognize that we're not in communion with God the Father. But the song goes on to say, and grace my fears relieve. So that's a different gift. The gift of grace that comes through salvation in Jesus Christ. So we have the gift of fear and the gift of grace that comes through Christ. And goes on to say in that song how precious was that moment when the hour I first believe. So for me personally, I vividly remember that moment in time 55 years ago where I came to faith in Christ and that fear of sin and separation was replaced by an eternal security that I enjoy today. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And Psalm uh, 111 says something similar. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I want to talk a little bit about that thing called fear, because as a young believer and a young Christian, I remember vividly that fear of God meant that he is a pretty strict taskmaster. And now as a follower of Christ, I've got to do it right. In fact, I even remember vividly as a young athlete aspiring to great things that if I wasn't a good Christian, the Lord would withhold blessing from me in success as an athlete. That's how twisted that that fear of the Lord was in my own mind. I I looked at him as someone who withheld blessing if I didn't didn't, uh, behave the proper way. So I tried hard on my own strength to please him out of fear of him. But the last couple of years particularly, and, and as a young adult uh, growing in the Lord and, and maturing in faith and appreciating the fellowship of others and, and the truth of his word, I, I came to realize that that fear of the Lord is, is something very significant but different uh, from what I thought of it as a, as a youngster. Um, in Isaiah 60, it speaks of personal spiritual revival. And there's, there's an incredible comment in there that says, then you will see... And be radiant, and your heart will fear and rejoice. So this fear of God drives us to worship and rejoicing Him and rejoicing in Him. Biblical fear is paired with joy. And rejoicing in what God has done. There's, there's another song, I won't, I won't uh, quote all the verses, but there's a line in it there that says, it's, it's from the, from an eyewitness perspective of someone who is seeing the suffering of Christ. And it says, ask the question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? It causes me to tremble. That's appropriate biblical fear. I want to read a a, a quote from from a a devotional that I've been enjoying that that, uh, drives this home uh, for me and I hope for you too. When the awesome magnitude of Christ's forgiveness, the extent to which he has gone to atone for us, and therefore the terrible gravity of our sin become clear to us as they do best at the cross, the right loving reaction is so intense it is fearful. It is not being afraid of God, but being awestruck, awestruck by his goodness and mercy. This one who created the universe, who enjoyed perfect fellowship in eternity past with, with his son and with the Holy Spirit, created us knowing that we were going to fail him. And yet, his inclination toward us was so great that he sent his only son. That causes me to tremble. I'm I'm awestruck. By that. He said of himself in Exodus 34 6, just want to share a few scriptures. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And in Psalm 86, for thou, O Lord, art good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on thee. And Ephesians 2 4 and 5, but God who is rich, In mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He wants rich relationship with us. He's shown it. He's shown his loving intention for us by sending his only son to die on the cross for us. So when we talk about fear, it's out of reverent appreciation, not falling away from him but falling towards him in worship and adoration. Our primary mission at Westside, our primary mission at Westside is to love God and to love people. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another. I want to leave you with this. Be kind to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Hebrews 3, uh, 3, if you would turn to it real quickly, that'd
5: be great. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, oh, I should have brought my glasses. 12. Those are tiny, by the way. Is anybody, okay, it just the, the, oh, are you serious? Thanks, Larry. This is actually exactly what I was going to talk about. Uh, uh, yeah, it is verse 12. So, uh, uh Hebrews three twelve. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any, uh, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This year I have been overwhelmed by the ability of other people in my life to speak the truth of the gospel to me. I've believed in the gospel for a long time. I've believed in Jesus and what he's done for me. But I forget too. And there are ways in which I things that I do that would betray, that would actually show that I I, I really don't believe this in all the ways that I think that I do our life group is going through this book called gospel fluency and i don't know if y'all have read it before but man highly recommend gospel fluency it just it speaks the truth of the gospel into the everyday stuff of life but i I meet with a couple guys uh who are in our life group i meet regularly with um with eric nystrom and with uh, alan phillip those two guys uh I'm kind of supposed to be mentoring, but there are so many times. And I think of a few times very specifically where God used them in a powerful way to say, hey, wake up, Dan. You think you believe this? In fact, I remember it was it was with Alan. Uh, I, I was presenting something to him, just kind of a struggle. And he and he seriously, he goes like this. He goes, brother, brother, what are we talking about? What what are you even talking about? How is this a hard decision? Die to self, follow Jesus. And it was so convicting. He just said it like, seriously, you're asking me about this? Like, come on, die to self, live for Jesus. But it just exposed the way in which I would say I'm a believer, but in so many ways I have these tendencies to just forget the truth of the gospel. Eric has done the same thing for me many times. And, but I think of like, I look back here, I see Cole. Cole and I do this almost every day. He and I remind one another of the truth of the gospel. And I need that. And, and just one particular way I want to share this with you. Uh, our life group, uh, just a few nights ago, we met and we did this exercise that they have in gospel fluency. We're just like, we're just sharing what's really going on. We're just being totally vulnerable. And, and I shared some things that I won't share here with you now it's for the small group but in that small group i confess some things man i i just feel like this and and i mean this is genuinely how i feel what i think and we went around the room and, and and everybody really did this and just spoke the truth of the gospel said dan this is how you feel this is what god says about you though You know, we sing that song, I won't be formed by feelings, I'll hold fast to what is true. I'm formed by feelings sometimes, I'll admit it. I think all of us are, if we admit it, sometimes we're just a little more formed by feelings than the truth. But I needed that group around me to speak the truth of the gospel into my life. Remind me of what's true. And you know, the beautiful thing was... uh, Hearing that for me was so good and so needed, but it was so awesome to hear these other people who need God's grace and mercy in their lives share that grace and mercy with others. And I tell you what, there is nothing more unifying than when we come together and recognize our needs before the Savior. So many of us are believers in Jesus, but all of us in some ways are unbelievers. We don't believe as thoroughly as we should, could, ought. And so we need this. Take care, brothers and sisters. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's the direction our sin takes us is to fall away, but exhort one another every day. This means kind of like what Jason said. This means we are living in community with one another and actually sharing what's actually going on. If nobody knows what's actually going on in your life, nobody can speak the truth of the gospel into your life. And some of us have lived our whole lives with our guard up so high. Sorry, I'm starting to preach now. But, but some of us have lived like that. And, and I'll tell you, I've lived like that. I've thought when this, when I became an elder again, I was like, i got to really put my guard up. And you know, the truth is, I need you in my life. I need to confess my sins to you. I need to be real with you about the ways in which I am not acting as a believer in Jesus. And I need you to exhort me. I need you to remind me of the truth. Dan, you're being formed by feelings. You're not holding fast to what is true. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. for we have come to share in Christ.
6: Well, I'm going to read a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians 2, if you'd like to turn there. Um, Recently... The Lord has reminded me of something that I've known for many years. But if you're like me, you need reminders of truth. And the thing the Lord's been reminding me about is the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I can't explain it. I can't feel it. I can't see it. But it's true And then the Lord has been reminding me that because the Holy Spirit is in me, I desperately, deeply want Him to work in my life to change me and to make me fruitful for the glory of Jesus. That's my desire. And I'd like to ask you to pray for me that that would happen more and more what really triggered this was, I've been recently, actually in recent weeks, reading through the book of Acts. Uh, if you look at the, the front of Acts in your Bible, it probably says the Acts of the Apostles. I don't think that's a good name. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, the Holy Spirit's promise. Chapter 2, he actually comes on The believers resides in them for the first time. Chapter two through the end of the book, evidences of his powerful work in and through their lives. And I've been, I've been reading that and praying, Lord, you may not do some of the exact things you did in them, but I want you to work in my heart. To change me and to make me fruitful and for my life to somehow impact other people, um, one of those early believers was the apostle Paul. We view him as kind of the best evangelist, the best missionary, the best church planter, the best Bible teacher. Probably half the New Testament was written by him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We we hold him highly. He was talented, used by God, but he didn't think he was that way. And this gets into First Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is writing here, reminding them about the first time he met these believers in Corinth. Frankly, he was scared to death and felt his weakness. He says, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. In other words, using fancy words, uh, human wisdom. I didn't do that, he says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And, get this, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul wasn't just being modest here and humble. He was modest and humble. He is saying these things because it was true. He had no ability in himself to convert anybody or cause them to grow spiritually, to become more like Jesus. That was beyond his ability. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And that's why he talks this way. And the Lord has reminded me that when I talk to somebody individually or I'm talking to you right now, I can't change you, but I know the Holy Spirit can. I can't change myself, but I know the Holy Spirit can using the Word of God, using exhortation from other people. We're going to sing in a couple of minutes the song more like Jesus I want to become more like Jesus and I'm convinced the only one who can make me more like Jesus is the Holy Spirit and his power and I want that and I want that for you I want that for this church that this church would be using the words of Paul in verse 4 a demonstration of the spirit and a power That's what we elders want of ourselves and also one another. How should I respond? How should you respond? There's a wrong answer and a right answer. The wrong answer is to pray and ask for more of the Holy Spirit. We don't need that. We have all of the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer in Jesus, all of the Holy Spirit that you could possibly want or need. The right answer is because the Holy Spirit resides in my life, I need to submit to the Spirit's work in me. Holy the New Testament talks about do not grieve the Holy Spirit. There's another verse that says, Do not quench the The Holy Spirit. When I'm disobedient and don't do what the Holy Spirit wants me to do, I don't obey God's word. The Holy Spirit being a person who has emotion actually is sad. He's grieved. I don't want that. And when a person disobeys over and over and over again, it leads to, alluding to what Dan said, hardness of heart. Where a person becomes so hardened to sin, it becomes sort of the normal thing. They know it's wrong, but they're going to do it anyway. And hardness of heart, Results in the Holy Spirit being quenched. The flame goes out. And there are times, even in the lives of Christians, when a person is so hardened to sin that the Holy Spirit just stops working, and that's awful. And I don't want that of me. I don't want that of you. And so I pray for you and I ask you to pray for me that my heart would be soft to the work of the spirit of my life. And I know that if I am, God will change me and God will make me fruitful. And I know
1: that's true of this church as well.